0: This is That Marketing Podcast.
1: Made by marketers, for marketers. Welcome to another edition of That Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Spotler UK. Good marketing has always been about getting inside the heads of your prospects and your leads, and neuromarketing is all about using scientific knowledge to do that in a predictable and a controllable way. As both a lecturer and a consultant on psychology, my guest Katie Hart is the perfect person to introduce us all to this still emerging field of study. In the episode, we talk about the kind of mental processes that neuromarketing seeks to take advantage of and how and why marketers can tread an ethical line putting it to use. Uh, We also touch on the piece of original research that Katie helped us to plan and run in partnership with a cohort of Spotler customers. Listen in to find out what kind of images on your landing pages are triggering stress responses in your readers' brains and which are diverting almost all of their focus away from your actual content. I hope you enjoy and happy marketing. So Katie, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today.
0: Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So neuromarketing
1: is one of those things that it's starting to get a bit more pick up, but it is still a bit of a niche field. Can you do us um a brief introduction to to how it works and how you got into the field?
0: Yeah, of course. Neuromarketing really brings together knowledge that we are gaining about our brains and how our brains work and how we see the world and in particular, some of the cognitive elements. So how we, how we create memories, how our perception works, how we pay attention to some things and not other. Um, it brings all of this into the world of marketing. So it's obviously really powerful information that we can we can learn. I first became interested in it because I studied psychology, I um, have a passion for understanding people and why we do the things we do, why we behave the way we do, and really why some of us when given the same opportunities or the same um, stimulus don't actually all choose to behave in the same way, so it's looking into what makes us different. and so really that's where I started was loving psychology. I did a couple of summer jobs in the field of marketing which I also enjoyed and when I left university I started my career in marketing and I'm afraid to say at that point psychology was it was something I taught in the evenings to um, mature students and I'd I'd never really seen the opportunity to put the two together which is quite quite shameful now. Um, But yes there was then a moment where I was jobs and I went and reflected back on what my skills were and what my interests my passions were and at that moment I was almost literally sitting down thinking am I going to go back to psychology and studying all of that that I loved so much or am I going to go back to marketing and all of all of that time that I loved so much and thankfully there was a wonderful moment where the two worlds merged and I realized I didn't have to choose one or the other and actually I could I could explore a career which incorporated both and that was 12 years ago so as you say it, there was very little known about it at that time I did a, a bit of research a bit of googling and absolutely loved what I read and what I saw but at the same time had this tremendous sense of potential and how this was only emerging at that stage and how it was something that I really felt I could I could be part of
1: right it sounds like it's very much um sort of a process of discovery both for both for yourself and for the the existence of the field so i think it's worth putting out there is it possible to to not use psychology in your marketing is it the case that just everything has an influence whether we accept it or not and we're now just beginning to understand how we can wield that if you like
0: yes as i say it's quite embarrassing to me now that i spent so long studying psychology and and enjoying a career in marketing and never put the two worlds together because psychology is defined as the science of mind and behavior. And as marketeers, we often want to be able to influence the way people behave, understand what's going on inside their minds or their brains as they're making decisions. Yes, it feels now perfectly natural. I think you're right. Whatever we do um, as marketeers is going to have an impact. So whether we do that intentionally or not, doesn't really make a difference. It is still going to be fed through the same processes in the brain and sometimes we might hit on something which works really well, other times we might pull together a campaign we've got lots of confidence in or we might launch a product we've done lots of research into and it isn't successful. So we will still be at the the sort of hands of, of psychology even if we don't understand those processes behind it. But what we can do through neuromarketing is bring the neuroscience learning so that we no longer do that by accident so we can actually choose what effects we want to bring about in the the brains of our customers and we can actually help them to make those decision making processes more effectively and more easily.
1: I suppose the other side of intentionality if we can call it that is since the field's obviously developed a lot in the time that you've been doing it and maybe consumers are now more aware of the elements of psychology that go into marketing do you think we see a reduction in the impact as people are are aware of it or is it deep enough that not knowing that these psychological tactics are being used doesn't actually influence whether they work or not
0: uh, I think most of it yes it's these are quite deep almost evolutionary physiological responses that we're talking about so they aren't things that we can choose to switch on or switch off so very often they can be used in a way that we won't even know we are having a process done to us. So this isn't something that we would seek to do to move away from or we would feel that we are getting um, sort of initiation saturation, we would say. So we are getting fed up with or bored by. There are some elements, you know, when somebody hits on something which works, you do find quite a lot of organizations then adopt that particular process and roll it out. So we can see that it's used in a lot of different ways, but that won't reduce the impact it has within the brain for people. And I don't know um, if you've seen it or not. There's a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, which talks about And the impact and the sort of psychological impact of social media and it was really interesting to hear there people who were responsible for developing things like Pinterest or Instagram who were saying that although in their day job they were using this knowledge to encourage people to stay on social media and use it more they couldn't themselves stop behavior working on themselves so they would get home from the office in the evening and would then spend three quarters of an hour on Pinterest knowing that they were being manipulated or influenced to stay on there longer so even when you do really know these processes and the, the processes and the knowledge that I have I still get sucked into exactly the same practices that other people would.
1: If these effects are so powerful that you can't even consciously opt out of them how do marketers start approaching this from from an ethical angle that certainly seems to be the um a hot topic around like you said the larger social media platforms how they're using this power how does that trickle down to to our sort of more our more sort of SME B2B audience do you think
0: it it is a big area and i'm not proud to say that it's i don't feel it's one that we have really grasped yet Um, There is so much potential in all of this and that potential has been used in clinical environments, therapeutic environments, all sorts of environments where it has been incredibly effective and it's really the transition of that out of the academic world into the commercial environment which starts to raise lots of questions. At the moment, there are very few laws or sort of authorities who are policing what is going on. There are some but sadly as you say they don't really impact on most of us at the sort of SME level. At at our stage what most of us do is we have our own codes of conduct or our own standards that we adhere to so it is dependent a lot on an individual practitioner Mm -hmm. and I know some of my colleagues who won't work with anybody in um, tobacco industry for instance because they don't want to take this knowledge and apply it to those products. That said, people like the gaming industry seem perfectly happy to carry on applying this without any real conscience about the effect it may be having on their consumers. So sadly at the moment it is very much down to individual interpretations, although I do believe that the British Psychological Society and the Market Research Society are actually looking into this.
1: Okay, so two good two good sources there for people that are thinking about how to actively apply that um that's what have they, have you found so far that um different techniques are better suited to different different media for you know, for example, something that works very well in a facebook post won't perform over email or is the distinction not quite there yet
0: in terms of techniques do you mean the the sort of research techniques we use?
1: I suppose I mean techniques that an SME like most of our audience are could use to engage its customers better in terms of their marketing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there are there are some which have quite a large appeal um, across the spectrum, but most of them will vary according to individual platforms. And a lot of that is about understanding the environment the consumer is in at the time that they are accessing them. So Things like social media feeds, if you look at the amount of time somebody spends in a social media feed as they're scrolling through, you have split seconds to to capture their attention. Whereas generally with emails, um, if you've received an email from somebody, you've got more time. Most of us have this sort of preview screens, so you have more of an opportunity then to create that impact that you want to have within their minds. So even at that, you know, at that small level, are things that we would seek to do differently and then if you escalate that up to um, having you know large scale posters or billboards on you know the underground in London or something like that there is a lot more you can do because you know you've got people who will be captive in that environment for a period of time and you know that the format itself lends itself to to create more of a visual impact as well, so it's really about balancing all of those and understanding how your particular target audience group is going to utilize or be exposed to any of those different methods.
1: With that in mind, what are some straightforward ways that um, marketers can start applying this neuromarketing science, particularly to email campaigns? I think that's been going to be the focus for for the majority of our audience listening to this. Bearing in mind what you've said about the different um, sort of states or context people find themselves in?
0: I would think probably the easiest way to start is firstly get out there and find out what has already been discovered. So there are some great books on this, there are some authors who have been around for a long time who've written books that are still held in high regard, there are people who are writing blogs who are much more sort of up-to-date in terms of their content but less proven in terms of validity in some instances. So the first thing I would suggest is just immerse yourself in in the options and the, the choices that you have available to you. Second thing is I would absolutely advocate that you do some split tests. Try doing things differently, see what works best for your audience. It's unlikely that you are going to find a piece of neuromarketing research which is specifically prescribed for your target audience so some of it you may need to tailor or adapt or to tweak to suit your audience and I think the best way to do that is do some split tests and see how the results actually manifest
1: and actually I'm going to do a little bit of a plug and talk about the the research that you helped us with with some internal spotler people and with a, a range of our customers to whom we are in, incredibly grateful because it was a unique piece of research looking at split testing different landing pages different email formats and kind of assessing what's going on in the brains as well beyond just the click results that you see in a normal split test can you talk to us a bit bit about how how that was set up from a from a psychology point of view
0: yeah of course be delighted to so the research that we carried out as you say was looking into what actually is going on inside the brains of people who are on the receiving end of emails that, that come into our inbox, so the, the sort of marketing emails that any of us may send out on a regular basis, and also looking at what goes on in people's brains as they visit web pages, so particularly yes, landing pages on to, on websites. So we developed the research looking um, predominantly at marketing professionals and trying to identify what it was that mm-hmm. they really their brains in particular, really engaged with what they found most interesting, what they found really accessible. So what's easy for us to communicate messages through to them and also what what excited them? You know, what were they what were they engaged with? What were they interested or fascinated by? So we looked at 19 different web layouts and nine different email layouts. And across each of those 28 different presentations we wanted to make sure that the content stayed exactly the same so that we were measuring people's response to the layout and not their response to the actual content so uh, as you say very indebted to your customers who allowed us to present 28 different lots of the same information on GDPR to them which is the topic we chose Uh, And we got some lovely results, actually, looking at what's going on inside people's brains as they were exposed to these different variations. So we used something called electroencephalography, or EEG, which is wearing a headset which measures the electrical impulses that are going on in the brain. And through these, we can start to tell what people are interested in, whether they're viewing it positively or not, whether they're engaged. Whether they're having to apply a lot of brain resource, so whether they're having to work hard to understand what they see, whether their attention is held by it or whether it's diverted in lots of different directions, all of this information we were able to monitor and analyze. And off the back of that, we came up <laughs> it may not be the most popular results um, in terms of email formats the one which the brain was most comfortable with, most engaged with, happiest to see, was a standard outlook format. Now, we tried a number of different ones which included graphics, which um, had lots of text, short amounts of text, all sorts of different ones, personalized um, headings to the email, all sorts of different permutations. And it was the standard outlook one which the brain responded most positively to. But not everybody, because what we did was we actually split the participants into different categories. And although at the senior levels within organizations, the brain responded very positively to the Outlook format, the more junior ones, and in particular, the interns that we researched were not so favorable favourable towards it. They They obviously perhaps weren't so familiar with that format yet, because I appreciate it's something that most of us in the in the business world tend to communicate through, but perhaps not something that students or people who are new into the business environment would be be so familiar with. In terms of landing pages, we tried again lots of different formats and we got some great results. One of the most interesting results was that we had the most positive result across the board and the least positive results achieved across the board were exactly the same design just with one change to that landing page layout. And that was the positioning of the call to action button. So in one instance, it was viewed incredibly positively and just making that one change of putting the call to action button on the opposite side of the screen suddenly made it a very negative response within the brain. So it does go to show that some of these little changes that we we may fall on by accident or that we may implement without that intentionality behind it, can have a really drastic effect on the results that we achieve. And I think the other thing that's worth talking about is we had a couple of images which had people on them in terms of the landing page. So when you arrive on the landing page, there was either an image of a female, an image of a male, or one of those group images that you often find that has a mixture of ages, genders, race, you know, all, all sorts of a group of five or six individuals. And what we found were that actually the response to the male image was far more interested, people were interested in him, whereas actually the female image, people were stressed by, that scored really high on the stress metric. And when they viewed the same content, remember the same text, but alongside an image which had the group, this gave us the lowest score in terms of focus. Um, Now, we know that the brain, there's a special part of the brain called the fusiform area, which is all about recognizing faces and being able to identify people. And I think what happened in that particular image or that particular layout where we had the group image is that the attention was detracted from the actual content and the text on the web page. Because there was so much resource went into identifying these faces, recognizing that they are faces and almost being drawn into that image at the expense of understanding the content or indeed reading the message that accompanied it. So, yeah, there were some fantastic insights that we picked up and the report does go into lots of detail. And I know that report is available for people on the Butler website. It does go into lots of detail about what marketing professionals liked and didn't like and what um, male participants preferred and female preferred. And again, that seniority that I've already spoken about. So it's not a one size fits all, but there is there is lots that we learned just as a result of doing that experiment with you.
1: Absolutely. As as you say, that is on our website. If you go to spotler.co.uk and search The Experiment, uh, wherever you're listening to this, I'll make sure that link is available in in the show notes and on the web page that we publish. So you can have a full read of that and start, start applying it. Leads back quite nicely to a lot of things we've been saying for a while about segmenting your audience and personalizing them, because there really is a demonstrable difference in how different kinds of people react to different kinds of images.
0: So this is an emerging science. There is a lot of knowledge that we are gaining. The academic institutions are researching and producing reports, um, articles, journals on this all the time. So it's very much in the early stages, but it's incredibly exciting and it does have a lot of potential. So I would always say to people, try it, try some of these techniques, try them small scale, see what works best for you. And slowly over time, you'll build a picture of what's actually going to deliver you the best results.
1: Are you able to share with us any particular um, campaigns for for people you've worked with that you've seen it applied really effectively that we might have come across out in the world?
0: There were. um, the, The sad thing is I'm not allowed to to name names in some of the work that I've been doing most recently there have been there was a campaign um, with somebody who was in the oil industry who was wanting to do some work looking at the people that they recruited into their organization so I've worked with them to really focus on the impact of their recruitment processes and their recruitment campaigns and the recruitment adverts even that went out so that they could get a very different response from a different section of their their target audience which has been exciting different completely different and some research into food and food tasting and in particular the apple industry looking at people's responses inside the brain as they taste different apples and seeing what resonates most strongly with them in terms of creating new varieties of apples as well for the the UK apple market.
1: That is two very 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 different ends of the scale absolutely. (laughs) I suppose it goes to show that anyone can can start applying this stuff and start learning from it. Okay, I think that's probably, probably a good point to end it on, that it's, it's out there whether you, no, I'm not going to say it's out there whether you know it or not, but like that sounds very, very sinister indeed. But um, it's out there and forward-thinking organisations are are using it. So take the plunge and get involved. Katie, once again, thank you very much for for spending some time on the podcast with us.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for talking to me.
1: Thank you for joining us for another episode of That Marketing Podcast. You clearly have wonderful taste. We hope you found the content useful and and enjoyed it. We'd love you to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to us, maybe leave us a review. If you can think of a topic that you, you'd like us to cover, or even if you fancy coming on the podcast and sharing your own experience on a particular topic, uh, you can reach us at team at spotler.co.uk. Thanks once again and happy marketing.